Despite what we're taught or led to believe, humanity is a lot more similar than it is different. Though the several cultures, races, and religions that make up our species are quite diverse, at the end of the day, we all more or less strive for the same things. To fill our lives with meaning, and to make our societies and world better than they were before. These universal desires and characteristics can perhaps explain how disparate cultures throughout the globe shared several similarities in their formative years without having any contact with one another. Take for example the construction and use of pyramids. Though these structures serve different purposes, they can be found in such varied locations as Egypt, Mesoamerica, what's now Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras, and Mesopotamia, present-day Iraq, Kuwait, and Syria. But it's not just architecture that can be universal. Social mores, too, can share eerie similarities with one another, perhaps none more blatantly than those of medieval Europe and feudal Japan. With the advent of chivalry and bushido, respectively, these two disparate societies, separated by thousands of miles and no contact with one another until the 16th century, established moral and ethical orders that are more similar than they are different. What are these two codes of conduct? How did they shape their respective societies? And what are their legacies in Europe and Japan today? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome back to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Chivalry is dead. This is a statement we often hear in contemporary times. This complaint, largely from women, bemoans the loss of gentlemanliness and courtship in favor of fleeting pleasures such as sex and casual dating. But where does this sentiment come from? Is the chivalry to which they're referring based on fact? Or is it something heavily romanticized in literature and other media, so much so that it likely never existed in the first place? As it turns out, chivalry was quite real, although it was far more than holding doors open for women or helping the elderly cross the street. Chivalry, as you may have guessed by now, had its origins in medieval Europe. After the fall of the Roman Empire in AD 476 and the spread of Christianity throughout the continent, the church became the leading dominant power in society, holding more sway than a king or emperor could even possess. As such, societal norms and mores quickly changed and were aligned with the principles and ethics of the Bible and therefore Christian law and doctrine. By the late 12th century, these changes had become solidified into a code of conduct known as chivalry, from the old French chivalerie, meaning horseman, a reference to knights who rode on horseback. While the specific origins of chivalry are hazy at best, it's believed to have stemmed from the time of the Carolingian Empire, 800-888, to under the rule of Charlemagne, in which the cavalryman, particularly that which served in the Crusades, was idealized for his bravery in battle, his strict military training and service to others, particularly those in need. This code was synonymous with the Christian institution of knighthood, in which a person was bestowed with an honorary title following service to a monarch, the church, or the country. By the late medieval period, this code had grown to encompass a wide variety of morals and ethics, including piety, courtly manners and skill, and prowess in combat. Meanwhile, half a world away on the opposite side of the globe, another society was feeling the strains of feudalism. Though Japan had been ruled by a singular monarch, that is, an emperor for centuries, by the start of the Kamakura period in the late 12th century, he had been replaced by a series of military dictators known as shoguns, who frequently warred and clashed with one another for land and power. With the advent of such a system of government came the need for warriors. So it was that the samurai class rose to prominence. A sort of Japanese parallel with the knights of Europe, they served their warlords faithfully, and as such became prominent members of society. They too followed a strict code, known in Japanese as Bushido, the way of the warrior. 
This code, the origins of which date back to the earlier Heian period, 794 to 1185, stressed loyalty, frugality, sincerity, a mastery of martial arts, and, above all, honor to the death. Having been established as a result of the emerging warrior caste, the concept was further strengthened and developed during the Muromachi period, 1336 to 1573, before being officially adopted by the Tokugawa shogunate in the 16th century. But what exactly do chivalry and bushido have in common, aside from the fact that they both served as codes of conduct? For starters, each has a certain set of shared principles that are, more or less, similar with one another. Chivalry, for instance, according to the Duke of Burgundy, a 14th century French nobleman who quote-unquote perfected this code, was founded on the principles of quote, justice, truth, resolution, diligence, and valor, unquote. Other characteristics of the code are more specifically aligned with the doctrine of the church. Prudence, temperance, liberality, hope, charity, sagacity, and faith. As previously stated, chivalry was heavily influenced by religion and the church. This is not to say that Bushido was an influence by religion as well, but, seeing as the samurai were either practitioners of the native Shinto faith or Buddhism, each would align their concept of Bushido with the morals and ethics of their respective faiths. The discipline aspects of Bushido were also greatly shaped by Confucianism from China and Zen Buddhism, which attempted to make sense of the samurai's violent way of life through serenity, wisdom, and patience. Its two greatest key virtues were, arguably, high morality and absolute loyalty, though it was by no means confined to these. Kindness and honesty, as well as personal honor and the respect of one's elders or lineage, were also quite important. It wasn't just society in which chivalry and bushido were put into practice. Arguably, the most important aspects of these codes of conduct were applied to the battlefield. Both stressed the importance of honor and loyalty, and went about them in much the same way. With chivalry, a knight was required to swear allegiance to his lord or monarch. This was much the same for Bushido as well, and both knights and the samurai were expected to study and learn the tactics of warfare. But these principles of honor and respect also carried over to their enemies. The chivalric code dictated that a knight must never strike an unarmed or defenseless opponent, and, whenever possible, they should take a fellow nobleman hostage for ransom rather than merely do away with him. Such military virtues were unique for Europe, for prior to the medieval period, warriors sought to vanquish their foes no matter the death toll or cost. This differed slightly from what was expected of the samurai. The primary goal was to instill fear in the enemy, but also to uphold honor and loyalty, even at the sacrifice of their own lives. Being captured and taken prisoner was seen as a slap in the face to one's lord, and considered weak. As such, the practice of ritual suicide, known as seppuku, became standard amongst the samurai class. In the event of one's capture, a warrior would take his own blade and slit his stomach open, while another, be they an enemy or on the same side, would chop off his head. Such circumstances may seem dire, but in those days, it was the only way to protect one's honor as well as their loyalty to a given lord. In nature, two seemingly disparate entities can come together to aid one another in a cycle that benefits both parties. This is known as a symbiotic relationship, and can easily be applied to both chivalry and bushido. The societies in which these codes of conduct were born informed their doctrine and principles, but in turn said codes helped shape their respective societies as well. While the medieval church gave rise to chivalry in the early medieval period, by the mid to late medieval periods, it had reflected its morals and ethics back onto the society that bore it. In mid-12th century France, for example, new military techniques, social statuses, and literary subjects reflected the principles upon which the chivalric code was founded. It became romanticized in the law and literature of the time, and would be the standard of behavior for gentlemen in the ensuing centuries right up to the present. But if chivalry's legacy influenced modern European sentiment and behavior, Bushido shaped many facets of Japanese culture tenfold. 
Unlike their western counterparts, the knights, the samurai existed well into the 19th century, at which time they were quickly abolished during the famed Meiji Restoration. In this period of great transition, feudalism came to an end, the emperor was restored to the throne, and Japan opened its doors to the world after over 200 years of isolation under the Tokugawa shogunate and strove to become modernized. Though the samurai class was dissolved and its constituents absorbed into the newly established military, professional, and business classes, they took elements of Bushido with them into their new vocations. As these former warriors often held important, high-ranking positions, they and their ethics proved highly influential to Japanese society as a whole. Post-feudal Bushido reached its height, however, at the turn of the last century, and, by World War II, had gained a considerable amount of traction and momentum. With the ancient idea that the emperor was descended from Amaterasu, the Shinto sun goddess, Japanese soldiers were encouraged to honor the monarch by pledging undying loyalty and sacrificing everything, even their lives, in battle for him. This concept was perhaps best personified in the kamikaze pilots of the Second World War. Rather than face capture or defeat, these pilots plowed their planes into American battleships in order to strike terror into the enemy and lower their morale. This, of course, is an extreme case and can best be summed up as a perversion of the original concept. After the war, however, the facets of Bushido, namely honor, loyalty, and sincerity, became commonplace in Japanese society as a whole, particularly in the realms of business, martial arts, and communication. Indeed, from the Taisho period, 1912 to 1926 onward, Bushido has been referred to as, quote, the way of the merchant, unquote. This moniker stems from the samurai classes, who were absorbed into modern ways of life during the Meiji Restoration, and their legacy continues to be held in high regard in Japan and respected the world over. Chivalry is dead. The next time you hear this sentiment repeated, remind yourself that it is, in fact, alive and well, albeit in a different form than its predecessor. Indeed, the knights of medieval Europe and the samurai of feudal Japan laid the very foundations for their respective societies' manners and codes of conduct. Both East and West owe a great debt of gratitude to them for their concepts of respect, goodwill and honor, which now more than ever we need in order to ensure a bright and better future. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Did you know about the similarities between chivalry and Bushido prior to this? Let me know in the comments of my latest Instagram post. Give me a follow at History Loves Company. That's history underscore loves underscore company. If you'd like to receive weekly trips to the past in your inbox, please subscribe to this podcast on all streaming platforms. Listening, liking, and sharing help immensely, so please do so. If you wish to contribute monthly to this podcast, then consider becoming a monthly supporter. By visiting anchor.fm slash historylovescompany, you'll find a support button atop the page. Clicking it will take you to three support plans that fit your budget and financial situation. Thank you in advance for all help and support. Next week I will be taking the week off, but we'll return the following Thursday for another exciting and informative episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you then.